up. What's going on, everybody? Ready PG here on the solo tip. Uh, Matthias the L is going to be a little inactive for a minute. <clears throat> you got me for a little while. And then here I am all feeling a little bit under the weather. I'm trying to put something together for everybody. So uh, welcome. Thank you for joining. Uh, I don't know how this is going to go. Just me by myself. I'm a lonesome. Uh, but hopefully uh, put together some good stuff for you guys. You'll have to bear with me for a little bit. Um, I woke up feeling uh, kind of congested. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Wanted to take a take a minute real quick and just kind of uh, give everybody a heads up on uh, what's to come over the next couple of weeks. The weekend of June 2nd, um, we're going to be at Monster Palooza, which super looking forward to this year. Um, last year, we were lucky enough to get an autograph and some uh, some pictures taken with uh, Doug Bradley, who plays um, Pinhead uh, on Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser series. Um, if you uh, don't already know, Mutant City Horror has a YouTube channel that uh, we abandoned <laughs> last year uh, in the sake of doing an audio-only podcast. So go back, check out the YouTube channel. There is a, um, I think it's in there. Maybe we cut it and we just didn't post it. I don't know. But there is some stuff where we talk about meeting Doug Bradley and like, um, we were, um, you know, taking video and picture and the video especially um, leading up to meeting him. And when we got to the table, he was not very pleased that we just kind of shoved a camera in his face. So um, we have some limited footage on that. But, you know, at the end of the day, last thing I want to do is get uh, Pinhead uh, mad at me for whatever reason. So we could, we shut that down a little bit. But uh, we know better uh, this time. Um, so going into Monster Palooza this year, super stoked to be meeting uh, the king himself, Robert England, Mr. Freddy Krueger. I've got my um, pro photo op uh, tickets already in hand. Um, I got this killer poster from HCG. Um, I'm going to be posting that on YouTube in a little while, but super stoked to get an autograph on that poster because that shit is badass. Um, but then there's going to be a ton of other people there too. Skeet, Skeet Ulrich is going to be there, which I feel like he's kind of like at all the um, events. So not too like you know, hyped up on skeet. Um, but Danny Lloyd is supposed to be there. And I think, I think he was supposed to be at, um, creepy con. Cause I think when Peter went with me, he was like super stoked to meet him, but, um, he ended up not being there or I think maybe he was somewhere. I don't remember what it was, but he was supposed to be at one of these events we went to and, uh, he just, uh, didn't make it. So, um, maybe might see him. He, he played Danny from, um, the Shining. So, and uh, um, Doctor, he's also in Doctor Sleep as well. So, we'll we'll see uh, what goes on with that. Um, who else? I never know how to pronounce her name, so I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to say it, but I know I'm gonna butcher it, and I apologize in advance. For Ruza Bulk, um, she was in The Craft, um, Almost Famous, but I love her from. Waterboy. That's, you know, one of my dad's favorite movies. I, I will never not watch Waterboy when that shit is on. She's so good in that. Tom Savini is supposed to be there. He was there last year. And I remember Matt and I uh, intentionally did not go and meet him. So may maybe, <laughs> 
maybe this year we'll go and meet him um there's a funny story about uh, not meeting him but we'll save that for later uh ian mccullough who uh, is in lucio falci's uh zombie uh so super stoked to see if we can get to meet him um amy donald who played megan from megan is also going to be there and then like a ton of cast members um from different nightmare on elm street movies are going to be there um ronnie bakley who played uh heather lightning cap's mom in the first one is going to be there um amy i'm sorry not amy but amanda weiss um who was also in the first one as well she played um not nancy but uh shit what tina uh, she'll be there um and then yeah like just uh uh just a bunch of different people from a bunch of different movies so they have like a bunch of they have like a like a nightmare on elm street 3 reunion cast photo op um uh, melinda clark who played the zombie from uh return of the living dead 3 which is perla's favorite is also gonna be there and then uh here's okay so outside of robert england there are two other people that I am super stoked to meet. One very much in particular. So I'll start with the, the lesser of the two. Miguel Nunez Jr. is going to be there. Um, he played Spider from Return of the Living Dead. And I love him anyways. Um, especially in uh, Kicking It Old School. But he is one of the people that I do not have... Uh, their autograph on my Return of the Living Dead Blu-ray. And so I'm going to make sure that I get his autograph as well. And then the the person above that is Alan Trotman. And Alan Trotman plays Tar Man in Return of the Living Dead. So, like, not only do I get to, like, kind of fill in my autographed Blu-ray with Miguel Nunez Jr., fucking Tarman himself is going to be there, who's, like, the most iconic part of that whole movie. I mean, we got his tiki mug. I've got a button-down t-shirt that Raymond bought me that's just got his photo all over it. Like, when people talk about Return of the Living Dead or you see things about Return of the Living Dead, you are looking at tarman like that that's just the one thing that tarman and trash <laughs> and trash uh linea quigley her, i she i so after these two guys i will just be missing her autograph and i've reached out to her on instagram uh you know i don't think we're big enough fish yet but i would love to like meet her get her autograph sit down with her we reviewed one of her movies creepazoids if you guys caught that one um she just seems like a fucking down to earth, like so cool, like chill person to talk to. I'm going to try to continue to make that happen. But until then, um, I'm going to get my Return of the Living Dead fill here with um, Alan and Miguel. The other thing, too, is um, there's an official Return of the Living Dead website. And they had a Kickstarter a little while back to get their site up and running. So I contributed to the Kickstarter and I got a bunch of swag as a result of it. And I had forgotten um, that I have this really fucking like 8 by 11 like poster. Um, It's made to look like kind of like the Tales from the Crypt comic book style um, cover. 
it's like a comic cover, but it's a poster of Return of the Living Dead, and it's got both um, Tarman and it's got um, Freddy or Tom Matthews on it. And I realized when I was going through my shit, getting ready for Monster Palooza, that I had this poster, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna have him sign this poster." But then I, I, I get this, the part I realized was, um, well, I just met Tom Matthews last year at uh, CreepyCon, and I just had him sign the DVD. I should have had him sign this poster, but, um, you know, uh, been there, whatever. It, 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 water under the bridge. Hopefully, one day I'll get another opportunity to meet Tom Matthews, and um, I'll get my autograph and and put that shit up on the wall. Because I'm thinking about building like this um, horror themed um, kind of get get a horror vibe going in the office and set it as a background. Because I'm trying to do more video stuff on like Instagram and shit. So. We'll see. A couple other. Um, I'm just going to round this out. Catherine Cochran is going to be there from Terrifier. We met her. Um, got some good interview with her. Um, check that out on the YouTube channel. John Kassir. I don't know if I ever say that right. I, I'm so bad at names. Um, but he is uh, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. So he'll be there as well. Um, and then um, kind of low key. Like this one kind of flies under the radar. Brian Thompson is going to be there. For those of you who don't know who Brian Thompson is, don't feel bad because he's that guy who just flies under the radar. Um, but he was the main villain in a movie called Cobra uh, with Sylvester Stallone. Cobra was one of my favorite movies growing up, man. Me and Tony used to watch the shit out of that movie. And I just watched it recently um, with Perla and man, it still holds up like it's action packed. It's like a little horror themed. It's got some horror overtones to it, but definitely not a horror movie. But man, it's it's really good. So go go and check that shit out if you if you guys get a chance. Now, as fun as Monster Palooza is going to be, there is a little bit of a uh, caveat to all of that. Um, Bruce Campbell was scheduled to be there. Um, which I was looking forward to meeting because I never met him before. I know Matt's met him at least once or twice before. Um, but I mean, come on, fucking it's Bruce Campbell. He's not going to be able to show up. There's a scheduling conflict. So they canceled him off of the roster, which is a bummer, but, uh, who knows, maybe another place and another time I'll get to meet, um, Bubba Hotep himself. So I'm, I'm going to be going to Monster Palooza the whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, I don't know if you know how it works, but the pro photo op is a separate meet and greet instance than like getting someone's autograph so when it comes to robert england um when we take a photo with him on sunday i will not have an opportunity to get his autograph at that time so i'm gonna have to use the rest of the weekend to try to sit in line and get my awesome hcg poster autographed from him which kind of sucks because friday night is a short night and i'll be going there after work by myself um, so we'll see if that happens, but I think Saturday is going to have to be the day where like, I'm thinking about getting there super fucking early and just standing in line and then just like beelining straight to his table and just waiting until I get that. Cause like, that's kind of the mission for the weekend. And I'd hate to do that on, try and do that on Sunday because, um, Prilla's going to be with me. And then like, we, we've got people going on Sunday as kind of like a group. So like, I don't want to spend that whole time just standing in line trying to get an autograph. So if I can be there on the two days that I'm going to be by myself to try to get it, then um, hopefully I can get that shit knocked out um, on Saturday. 
but then we'll be uh, I'll be walking around conducting interviews with a bunch of vendors. I'm going to try to get interviews with anybody who will talk to me as far as like actors go. I guess it's really going to depend on like the length of the lines. What I found usually is towards the end of the event um, when the lines have dying down is to try to walk up to some of the um, less visited um, guests. And they're usually a little bit more open to like sitting and chatting and talking for a minute so um yeah just be on the lookout i'll post all the interviews um as an episode and you know I'll, we'll do a review on the whole show and our experience and um kind of like we normally do with some of these events so yeah be on the lookout for that that's going to be the weekend of june 2nd so you know sometime after that um also check us out on our instagram at mutant city horror and then um I don't know where else you'd be listening to this other than on Spotify, uh, Mutant City Horror. <laughs> okay, enough with that. Um, so this week, um, I have a little bit of a more current movie. I think uh, I was, you know, kind of looking back at the list. And aside from last week's episode on um, Horror Express, we kind of been dabbling in some some more modern movies um i know the whole premise of the show is to check out the b stuff you know the the stuff that flies under the radar and you know in the beginning that usually meant looking at stuff that was made like you know 80s and 90s 80s is like the sweet spot for the b horror shit but um been watching a few uh more modern things uh i think bliss is probably um one of the more recent ones recent modern um but we also did um, surveillance as well with Bill Pullman, and um, there's a few on the list. I was that's actually how this whole thing started um, with this week's episode. Uh, Matt and I keep a list of movies that we want to watch for the show, and then um, on kind of on top of that, I keep a list of movies that are coming out this year that I want to keep an eye out on. And um, there's this movie called Malum that um, came out in March that was on our list. I think the first time I had heard of it is when we were doing the episode of uh, Dads from the Crypt. And um, one of somebody was talking about Malum being the, the remake for Last Shift. And that kind of got Matt started on this movie. I'd never heard of it before. Um, but um, Matt was, you know, swearing up and down that the movie, you know, Last Shift was great. And so... You know, we had this uh, remake coming, and so um, as I was kind of going through the list this weekend, I saw Malum on the list, and I was like, oh yeah, I should really check out Last Shift. So yesterday, um, I watched it. It's on Amazon Prime, for those of you who have it. Go go check it out. It's fucking great. But I watched it, and then um, last night, you know, the girls wanted to watch something, so I threw that on, and um, Perla dug it for sure. So Last Shift is credited for being released in 2014, um, but it actually premiered at the London Fright Fest Film Festival uh, in October of 2014. But then Magnet, um, the production company, uh, picked it up and released it straight to video on demand in October of 2015. So technically hit, you know, released in 2014, but didn't hit video on demand until 2015. So um, which again insinuates that this did not have a um, theatrical release straight to video. Now I've come to uh, live with the fact that I am horrible at 
providing a synopsis. So I'm going to do my best here, and, but bear with me. I'm going to try to, to describe it without giving it away. Last Shift is a story about a rookie cop who is working the very last shift in a, in an abandoned police station. There's a new police station that got uh, uh, up and running down the street and they need somebody to take this last shift in this um, abandoned police uh, station. And because she's the rookie, um, she, quote, drew the last or short straw and uh, she experiences some weird shit that goes on uh in the police station during her shift hopefully i didn't ruin it let's see if this does it uh any justice do we really have to do this now i'm i'm literally about to start my first shifts anybody in here You are the lucky rookie to work the very last shift in this mausoleum. All 911 calls have been rerouted to the new station, so it should be quiet. Sanford Police Department. and flight. I'll destroy your own. The ones that lie within your heart. The ones you pray for. There's so much blood splashing around in there. She fell to her knees and bowed to the That's what payment means. It was destined. The king of hell. So the movie is directed by Anthony de Blasi, who um, is also directing the remake, Malum, which I thought was pretty dope because I don't know a lot of directors who get like a second chance at remaking, you know, one of their movies. Um, but he, here's a really good example. Um, I was watching this interview with him um, on YouTube with um, Dread Central and he even says, you know, like, you, you know, it's a, it's a treat to be able to go back and revisit a piece of work, um, especially when you loved it so much. I think um, what he was seeing was the idea of like when he did last shift originally, you know, working on such a small budget, there's lots of things that, uh, you know, well, here, I'll, I'll play the audio. I I love that first film. I've, I've never walked away from that movie saying like, oh man, like I can watch that movie and be like, yeah, I did everything I wanted to do. We just did it for a very tiny budget, which is great. I mean, I like, 
I had worked with the producers a couple of times before. So it was almost kind of a science experiment to see how little we could spend and how short of a schedule we could have and how much quality we could still put on the screen. Um, but because of that, there's obviously things we couldn't do and things that we might've done if we had more resources. And also because I'd always thought about like, oh, I would have loved to done a sequel for that movie and, and explore those characters more. Um, but it just didn't come to be. So when I talked to, well, the Welcome Villain guys, we felt the, the best way in was to, to not like do a straight remake, but just to reimagine in a way that could let Scott and I delve deeper into the characters and also create just new mythologies that were just kind of touched on in the, touched on in a different way in the first movie. And the other thing that, and I, and I'd say the biggest thing was that I always felt that last shift was a crowd pleaser. Like when I finished that movie, I was very confident about it playing with an audience in a theater and it just never, it was never released in theatrically. And that was always, I think that was the disappointment I had with that movie is that I thought it would have been such a fun thrill ride for audiences to see that in a theater. So we went in with the same approach for this, the way we designed the sound, the way we recorded the sound was such a huge part of the first movie. We took that again for this movie. And I wanted to give audiences that theatrical ride and, and, and make a movie that would scare them and and just have like this 90 minute thrill ride so that was a huge reason knowing we were kind of do going to do a, a solid theatrical release for this was a very enticing reason to visit it again so like the idea of being able to come back and revisit your work with a bigger budget you know and better at like oh man i wish i could have done that different i mean how many times have we created our own things and then been like, ah, I could have done this better. I could have done that better uh, for next time. Now I know for next time. Well, he got his shot at next time. And now uh, Malum looks fucking great. I can't wait to see it. I don't know why I slept on it for so long, but uh, I'll probably be watching it this week just because uh, it's so fresh in my mind and it looks it looks fantastic. Now, he's also directed this other movie called Extremity, which came out in 2018 um which um i haven't seen it but i just saw the trailer so i'll give you a synopsis on that um it looks like um there's these i don't know what you would call them but there's these like um horror e experiences that you can sign up for um i've heard about these kind of here and there but not in full detail and like you have to sign waivers and shit that say that you know you're here on your own free will and you're not going to hold anybody responsible for anything well like this one is kind of like the extreme of that right so it looks like somebody gets um you know kind of kidnapped and then brought to this like terror place and all this weird shit happens so i know i didn't do that movie any justice in what i just said but um check out the trailer for that or go check out the movie um it's you know it was released in 2018 so i'm sure you'd be able to find it somewhere de Blasi also did this movie called dread in 2009 with uh he co-wrote with one Clive Barker. I'm not sure if anybody's ever heard of Clive Barker, but um, he's so all of that to say, like, he's got some uh, cred credibility. I, I would say he, he holds some weight and um, last shift was really good for being a low budget movie. Um, 
So I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, all his other stuff um, is um, shot, written, and acted really well as well. This one we're talking about today, Last Shift, um, stars uh, Juliana Harkavy. And then um, I haven't really, I don't know her much. I haven't seen her in anything other than just this. I was taking a look at her IMDb page. Um, she is in the uh, series Arrow. Um, she plays Black Canary. She's in a ton of episodes of that. She's got a lot of TV work under her belt, but uh, not a lot of things that I, I had recognized her for. Now, there's an actor in this movie who I recognize, but I couldn't really pinpoint. And I know I'd say that a lot, and then I end up looking people up, and I'm like, oh, I don't know these people at all. But this one, I knew for sure. And so when I looked, uh, this guy's name is Jay LaRose. Um, I took a look, and he is in this movie called Big Top Evil, which I had just seen because we had just interviewed the director of that movie um sean hates so it was fresh in my mind and i knew i knew him so that was a big kudos to um to sean and all of the stuff that he does to see you know um the caliper of people that he's been uh, fortunate enough to work with so if you haven't um already listened go back to our episode our interview with sean hates um and we talk about his movie big top evil for a little bit so um let's talk about it so as I mentioned, Last Shift is a movie. This rookie cop, she is showing up to this abandoned police station um, to start her very first shift, of which is the very last shift that any officer will work in this police station. Um, not really known to us why, at least not in the beginning, but um, the police station has moved down the street to a newer building um, and so they just need somebody here to cover this last shift. And because she's a rookie, obviously, um, she's going to get the short end of the stick and she ends up showing up um, for this. Now, the movie opens with her kind of sitting in a squad car um, talking to her mom, who's trying to like really kind of talk her out of like being a cop, which is funny That's because bad. she's already, you know in her uniform and in a squad car and like ready to be a cop and uh, mom is still trying to talk her out of that shit but uh, they make a mention uh, about um, her dad mom I told you I am going to be fine alright most cops go their entire career without seeing any action nice and um you know, something about kind of like uh, her dad kind of it's insinuated that her dad was a cop who is now dead. Um, but that's really kind of it uh, for the moment. And we just kind of skip over that and we get into her kind of walking into the the um, station of which there's like nothing in there. It's like some walls, <laughs> some glass partition like this place is empty as fuck. So our rookie cop. um Officer Jessica Lauren, played by Juliana Harkavy, um, starts roaming the halls, kind of looking to find out what's happening here because it's super empty. And this is where we meet old man Sergeant Cohen, who's like coming from around the corner, like super pissed off. He's like beating up a locker and he's like talking shit about cops. At least that's what it sounded like to me. But he's like, ah, fucking cops. And we don't really get to see him at first. And so, you know, um, Officer Lauren is like, oh, uh, hello. 
and uh, he, you know, he turns to her, startled, not realizing that she was there, and he was like, "How long you been there?" I, I just walked in. I'm Officer. Turn Lord. around. My order said to report. I you. said, "Turn around." Stop! I said, "Turn around, not walk away." So he starts introducing himself and kind of, you know, giving her the the ten cent tour. And, you know, explaining to her what she's going to be doing um, throughout the night. You are the lucky rookie to work the very last shift in this mausoleum. All 911 calls have been rerouted to the new station, so it should be quiet. Okay, you may have some walk-ups, but just send them up the street. The address and my number are on the wall. If there's an emergency, call the station. There's the kitchen and the weight room down the hall if you get bored. He mentions the holding area, but what he tells her is... That's holding. You don't have to go down there. So immediately I'm like, mm, I'm wondering what's around that corner. But then she asked the question that all of us were thinking. We're like, why not just hire some security guard to like come and like, you know, just take care of this place? Why put a cop on a shift? And he tells her... This room contains enough hazardous material to make Chernobyl look like fucking birds shit on a windowsill. Tonight, every hardened criminal in this area will do everything in their power to get to this, and you, you're the only one standing between them and the total annihilation of this fucking city. <laughs> I'm messing with you, rookie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's not in the department's policy to hire outside security when we have a whole fleet blue blood on the payroll so this is kind of the point where it's like okay it's all you now um you know he he bones out she's there by herself and we are left to see what transpires now it was interesting to me because i was kind of looking at the movie um there was some notion that de Blasi had some um influences for this movie um, one was assault on precinct precinct 13 which um admittedly i think i've seen it once but I don't remember the whole thing, so I can't draw the correlation between the two movies. Um, but another one was Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, I picked up that vibe only once. Um, and that's in this kind of transitional scene here where we see um, Officer Lauren. She is at the front desk. She is reading her book and she starts to fall asleep. And she nods off and then she drops her book like she's asleep and then she drops her book on the floor and the, the the sound of the book hitting the floor is the thing that wakes her up and so that was kind of my like okay is is the rest of this movie her just sleeping and like dreaming this shit or is this just kind of you know the fact that you know it's quiet and dead there and there's nothing going on so as she wakes, she starts hearing little noises here and there. She's, she's, you know, we hear some like flickering of lights. She's checking that out, but then she gets interrupted by a phone call. Sanford Police Department. And the phone call is from some girl Hello? who is calling to, you know, ask for help. And she, Officer Lauren's tripping out because um, she was Hello, told that all the calls, um, all the 911 calls have been rerouted to the new place. Um, but she got this one, so she, you know, wasn't sure what was happening. So she ends up calling the 
the new police station and they're like uh yeah all the 911 calls come here so um, you know they call back try to get some more information or whatever um but again just kind of um you know we're, we're watching officer lauren be here by herself and um she's waiting for um the only action she's expecting to see all night is the biohazard crew that's coming to clean up um that that room that uh, off the sergeant cohen was talking about so really it's just going to be her kind of killing time the window i thought he was you know very specific on the time frame being 10 to 4 um i thought he emphasized that really weird but um the movie does a really good time uh, job at like showing you the time so there's this scene where um officer lauren is in the break room eating a sandwich and it shows you that it's a it's just turning 10 o'clock and so i you know i I thought that was kind of intentional but really didn't pay like too too much attention to it so she's eating her meal and she starts to like she's it's a scene of like a close-up of her mouth and she's chewing and um she starts to like feel you can tell she's like not comfortable chewing on something and she starts to pull out this like it looks like black hair i think it's supposed to be hair but it's like real like a thick string i don't know it's really fucking gross she ends up spitting the whole thing out um on the floor and that shit always creeps me out like the whole like hair in the mouth and like anytime you pull anything out of the mouth uh, is really fucking gross to me so in that in this part i was like good job because that shit uh kind of gives me the creeps so she's cleaning up um you know disgusted from this meal and this is where we hear a knock at the front door so she walks out to go see what's happening and um you know opens the unlocks the door walks out there's nobody out there so when she turns around and walks back in this is where we see um our first other character than her um standing in the lobby it's this homeless guy he's got no shoes on he's looking dingy as fuck and she's like trying to get his attention and you know before we can see his face we see a shot from behind him looking at him where he starts pissing on the floor and it's like oh fuck dude that's gross because you know she's gonna she's gonna have to deal with that shit but when we come around and we see this is actually the actor jay larose and you know long hair full beard all just kind of like shit in his beard and just looking just Sir. scraggly and he's just standing there he doesn't it's not doing anything you know she's trying to get his attention she pulls out her, Sir, you her know where baton you are? and is like kind of poking at him Sir, like hey you're in a police you know you got to get out of here and i'll just hey. real quick like he just snaps at her and he's Hello? like Sir! Oh, which you know kind of i won't say startled me Wait. but like it caught my attention no! um but then she ends up kicking him out get and out. so you know she's get out um freaked out a little bit as i think any of us would be considering we're there by ourselves and you know it's our first night as a cop we don't you know kind of haven't tested our boundaries yet and um you know uh, she's a female so you know there's always that aspect of um you know the the damsel in distress as well now as she's um you know it cuts to kind of her bringing back a um a mop and bucket you know back into uh one of the back rooms there insinuating that she had cleaned up the piss um she 
finds this old pair of boots, which is not a big deal. She comes out and gives, you know, puts the boots out on the, the front uh, stoop um, for the homeless guy because he didn't have any shoes on. But I thought it was just kind of a nice touch to kind of show us her humanitarian side as well. She comes back in and again, more noises and she's led to the bathroom of the facility and the bathroom is fucked up. There's like all kinds of like filth and grime and shit like all over the walls, in the sink. Um, the toilets just look like black death. I mean, it was fucking gross. And like she's, you know, kind of walking through it with her, her nose in her elbow um, because the stink is so bad. But um, it really getting it kind of um, you. I, I guess for me, it was like you can smell it without smelling it like you can just see how awful that place looked and you can imagine what that smell might have been like it was fucking gross um but she walks through and she's led into the gym room and then beyond there she's led into the locker room and in the locker room all the lockers are closed and everything she starts kind of looking around and it turns you know we i probably did a bad job at insinuating this but her dad was a cop and, uh, you know, her, uh, her, it's known to us at this point that her dad died on the job. And so as she's going through this locker room, she ends up at locker number 25, which is the only locker in the room that has a key in it. And the way that they kind of focus on it, we get, you know, the feeling that this was her dad's locker. She opens it up and she finds a picture of him. With her on her on his back is like, I don't know, maybe she's like seven or eight in this picture. It's kind of a old, faded, dated picture. Um, and on the back of it, it's got a note that says daddy with the cuddle bug at the park or something like that. So we've solidified for ourselves. Her dad used to be a cop. This is the station he worked at. She's following in his footsteps. And, you know, she's... Um, sad that he is dead obviously and um that I, again i think that's kind of um, cemented for us but it's crazy because as she goes to leave the locker room she turns and all of the locker doors have been opened so i think this is the part where she's starting to realize like mm, there might be some weird shit happening here but there's not enough time for us to focus on that because as soon as she, we walk out of that locker room the phone starts ringing again. And so we pick it up and guess who it is. Sanford Police Department. Please. I need to get out. Hey, you called earlier, right? What's your name? Monica. Monica? Okay, Monica, where are you? I'm about to a ranch. A ranch? All right. Do you know the address? They're coming now. Okay, tell me quickly, is there anything around you that you could help me locate you? Anything that you see? What's near you? I Pigs? All right, is there anything else? I have to go. Monica. Damn it. So now we get a name. This girl's name is Monica. <laughs> and I can't help, but every time I hear the name Monica, I think of Jaw Rule from Fast and the Furious. Monica! <laughs> Sorry, that's just my stupid brain at work. <laughs> okay, so again, in the spirit of like weird shit that's happening in this station, we don't have time 
to digest one thing before the next thing starts. If you think about it, pulling the hair out of her mouth while eating her lunch, she really didn't have time to process that because someone was knocking at the door. We go to the door, the homeless Joe's out there and you know he's pissing on the floor. So she gets him out, she's cleaning it up. We get the boots, then the boots lead to the bathroom, the bathroom leads to the locker room, locker room leads to the phone call. Like everything's kind of happening um too fast for us to be able to like digest one thing so um i thought it did a really good job at like introducing a lot of like different elements things that are happening to this person without her being able to like sit and figure out what is happening so um but it didn't feel rushed either it just kind of felt you know one thing after the other and so here we are where she's done talking to Monica and she gets a phone call from the hazmat guys who are telling her like, hey, uh, we're probably going to be, you know, um, a little bit longer, probably closer to the four o'clock uh, time frame that the sergeant had given her in the first place. Now that she has a minute to kind of sit and think, she's like, hey, let me call the main station again, calls the main station and tells them I got another phone call. And, but they remind her all the calls are being rerouted to the new station. So this is really kind of the first time that she gets to kind of sit and ponder and think and chill out for a second. And it doesn't last very long because as soon as she gets back to reading her uh, policeman's handbook, um, some of the shit, some of the furniture behind her starts to move around. But again, she doesn't have time to deal with this stuff because she starts hearing some other shit coming from the back of the station. So freaked out, she goes to check it out. And upon investigating, we find out that there's a back door to the station. And not only is there a back door, but it's open. Someone had uh, destroyed some uh, furniture, uh, like a drawer or a cabinet. And one of the drawers was like wedged between the door. Uh, between the door keeping it open you know so now it's like oh shit is someone in here or did someone like what is happening so because there's still more noise coming from another room she you know starts to use her radio to like dispatch for help this is officer lauren but of course the fucking radio doesn't work all we hear is static I repeat, possible code nine. Now standing here alone, trying to figure out what's happening with the radio, the fucking power cuts out. Goes to black, all these red lights come up, um, and now she's freaked the fuck out, right? She's doesn't know if someone is in here, if it's multiple people or what, the power's cut. So she, you know, she has her weapon drawn. She's doing the whole, you know, um, weapon, one hand holding the weapon uh, while the other hand is holding the flashlight kind of over under each other. And she walks into um, this file room kind of reciting her policeman's creed or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what it was. Kind of sounded like a, the Hippocratic Oath, but for cops. And she walks into this room and she finds homeless Joe, um, you know, just going through these like 
boxes of files and shit. So she throws the breaker. She's telling him to get down. He won't get down. He's going through all the files. So she ends up, you know, um, she ends up getting him down and in cuffs and then walks him over to a holding cell. And as they're walking, we see that he's wearing the boots, um, which again, I don't know why I keep referencing. It's not a big deal, but like, you know, it's just nice to see that, you know, she did something nice for him. But this dude's big as fuck. And so like um, in trying to get him into the cell, he ends up like falling on the floor. So she's got to drag him into the cell. And once she finally gets him in there, more scary shit, man. The door closes um, violently and then the lights go dark. And so she's left in this holding cell, um, just her and this guy in cuffs. And he gets on his feet, makes an advance to her, and she freaks the fuck out. So she fucking tases him, gets him down on the ground, you know, gets him out of commission. Um, but then is trying to get out of this uh, room and the door is locked uh, from the inside. She can't make her way out. So she's using the flashlight to look through the window, try to see what's going on. And this is where we start to see um, a glimpse of other people. There's a um, this fucking awesome, like, I won't call it a jump scare, but that's kind of what the result was. Um, where she's, you know, it's pitch black. She's using the flashlight. And then we see this person um, with like a hood on that's got like almost like the anarchy symbol kind of all over the face. And this ugly rotten teeth. Um, and it just scares the shit out of her and scares the shit out of me too. But in her getting scared, she dropped her flashlight and, um, you know, she's, you, it's kind of pitch black. She's scrambling to find it. And the, the light starts getting flashed in her eyes and she's thinking that it's homeless Joe. And she's like, give me my flashlight back, give it back to me. And the, the light kind of pans and it shows us homeless Joe in the corner, like knocked out. So like from the taste, so it's not him and it's not her. Um, so who could it be? So of course, all freaked out, she starts talking, trying to figure out who this is. Who's in here? Who's in here? Please. Answer me. Now, we don't ever really see who's holding the flashlight, but at a certain point, um, there is a flash of light and we see that behind Officer Lauren are two people wearing these hooded uh, painted masks or whatever. 
him and then it goes again and it cuts on the lights and the doors open and everything is back to normal so freak the fuck out she comes out of the room she closes the door behind her she locks that shit up and um you know draws her weapon because she's again she's you know fucking scared out of her mind so she takes a minute she gathers herself she's sitting back at her desk she's trying to figure out what the fuck has been happening we've got this guy in holding we've seen a couple people pop up here and there like there's a lot going on and she's trying to like figure it all out and i think um you know in this moment of like sorting herself she thinks that she i feel like she felt like she might be going a little bit crazy um especially considering that she's working in the station you know for the force that her dad died for you know she's not really sure if she can do this um you know i think that she thinks that she's losing her mind a little bit so she calls sergeant cohen and you can tell just kind of based on her vibe and and the way that you know she's acting she's gonna call him and tell him like i can't do it but as she ends up leaving a voicemail for him she's like Sergeant Cohen, this is Officer Lauren down at the old station, and there was a, I'm, I'm calling because I'm, um, I'm calling because I'm happy to be on the force, sir. Thank you. I think she wanted to find it within herself to like be able to like, you know, kind of muscle through the night. Now, after the phone call, she's sitting there and kind of reflecting. She puts her head back, you know, she's leaning back in her chair and she notices that the on one of the ceiling tiles, it says uh, there's a word written there, M-O-S. And, you know, in the beginning, I was like, what the fuck is M-O-S? But then she turns, right? And she reads it right side up and it says s-o-w which is um so or sal i don't know how to pronounce it um but i had to look it up because i didn't know what it meant and apparently a so is a female pig which made sense she's a cop she's a female there you go <laughs> i don't know why they threw it in there like that um but you know i think it only served the one purpose which was it freaked her out more so like all the shit that's happened so far hasn't already freaked her out, but like seeing this up there just kind of solidified it for her. So, um, after seeing that it's this cutscene of her, like locking the doors and securing the windows and like making sure like the whole place is kind of like battened down, you know, but it's in this venture of her, kind of making sure that everything is locked and that she notices that there is someone outside of the station smoking a cigarette. And this is where we're introduced to Marigold. Marigold kind of gives us our really first good, thorough kind of walkthrough of what might be happening here. Ma'am, can I help you with something? No, I'm all right. Well, you can't hang out back here. This is a police station. 
No, it's not. The police station's on 14th and Addison. Ma'am, you can call me Marigold. No, ma'am, I will not. <laughs> My mama gave me that name. She picked it out herself, swear to God. Can you please remove yourself from the premises and uh, go about your business? Look, do you mind if I finish my cigarette? Just feel safer here. All right, just don't leave your butt on the step. Hey! You're new, right? Yeah. I thought so. <laughs> I could pick a rookie out of a whole room full of pigs. <laughs> well, you still got that look on your face after you give it to him. Have a good night. I was here, you know. Yeah? Well, the cell next door. But I heard the scream, and they found him the next morning. What, uh, what are you referring to? Well, they brought him in that night. Three of them. This wannabe Manson family. I think they were called the Painters. Kidnapped and slaughtered those poor girls. Yes, they did. They also killed the Payman family on the scene of the crime, the officers. I should know, my father was one of them. Yeah, that's what they wanted you to believe, but they brought him in alive. Bragging about what they'd done and all. I can see you don't believe me, but I'm willing to bet my tits in a pack of cigarettes. It's the truth. Well, they kept me up all night. Singing this eerie song. Bastards hung themselves with their own bed sheets. And in the commotion the next morning, I got a glimpse into their cell. And the bodies were gone. But pure evil covered those walls. You okay? Yeah, no, I'm good. Well, time to make the donut. And don't worry, I'm taking my butt with me. So, after that whole rundown, you know, she's a little shaken. And she starts walking back to her desk. And this is kind of this cool, like, long hallway shot of her, you know, walking back. And as she's walking, um, she gets kind of drawn into this room that's a little bit dark. There's a TV hanging on the wall. And she walks in and she starts seeing these images on this TV screen. And it's um, this guy kind of um, talking, almost like a police confessional, if you will. But it's not just the one TV screen with him talking. There's also some other ones in there. And so as we're watching um, and listening to the this guy kind of confess or whatever, then another one cuts on. And it's another, it's a girl talking about what's, uh, you know, giving her confession. 
now as she's watching all of this and listening to all of this and getting a better understanding of some of the shit that Marigold had just told us crazy shit starts happening in the room some of the chairs start swirling around we see glimpses of people in the chairs again with this hooded mask on or whatever um and it just starts getting like a little violent in there for her but as i mentioned before she has enough time to really kind of process what's happening (laughs) we're getting another phone call at the desk now this time she's trying to help monica by telling her like I need you to call 911 because the other officer had told her, like, these aren't 911 calls. So she's calling the station direct. And next time she calls, tell her to call 911 and we'll help her. But she's also still shook by all the shit that's been happening. So as she's giving her, you know, you know, this instruction to call 911, she also wants to know, like, have you have you heard of this name? This John Michael Payman? Like, because now she's got some names to that story and the story that um, Monica is telling, it's kind of uh, bleeding into the story that she knows about the Payman family, um, which is, you know, I, I think it's um, from what I read, the Payman family is inspired by the Manson family. And so, um, you know, there were three, like I, I think I mentioned, there were three kind of um, inspirations for this movie, the Manson family um nightmare on elm street and then assault on precinct 13 so now it's kind of coming i guess you wouldn't know that until after you watch the movie or maybe if you read the shit first but it, it kind of comes together in that sense now this one's kind of intense because as she's talking to her you know um monica keeps pleading with her for her to help her and she's like yeah yeah i'm gonna help you i'm gonna help you, you but then so? like monica lets out this like i'm gonna help you i promise you stay on the phone with me i'm gonna help you And at this point, the look on Officer Cohen's face is like, or Officer Lauren's face is just sheer terror. Like, it's it's all just kind of building up within her. Like, it's, it's getting to, like, a boiling point, you know? So when the line cuts out, she's just like, fuck. You know? She starts pacing the room like, oh, my God, dude. Like, what the fuck? So, again, she calls the news station. She talks to the same officer she's been talking to all night and tells him, I've got a last name. I've got an age. She's talking about other girls, um, something about pigs and a farm. So she's giving him all this information. He's like, all right, I'll take it. I'll look into it. You know, I'll I'll, I'll do what I can. So (laughs) again, as she's sitting there at the end of this phone call, like, let me take a breath. She starts hearing whistling coming from down the hall. So she, fuck it at this point. Let me go check that one out too. So she walks down the hall and she walks into this room and there's a collection of desk chairs in the middle of this room and she's not really sure what to make of it, but she kind of looks away for a second and when she looks back, all of these chairs are stacked up on top of each other. It's at this point where she's figured this whole thing out. She understands what's happening. The other officers are fucking with her. That's all it is. It's rookie initiation. She's the brand new cop on the beat. Like, let's fuck with her. You know, there's this old spooky abandoned police station. We're just going to play pranks on her all night. That's how people have been getting in and out. That's the phone calls. That's everything that's been happening is just everybody playing pranks on her. End of movie. Good night. 
I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> She's getting a little bit frustrated at this point, right? So she starts calling out in the hallway like, I know you guys are fucking with me. Ha ha. I get it. You know, whatever. But like, there's also a level of frustration there too. So like it quickly turns from, I think I know what's happening to like, okay, I still don't know what's happening. So I'm still a little bit freaked out. And this is again, she gets, you know, another knock at the door. Let me go figure out what that shit is. And it's another officer, which, um, thank God. Cause I was like, finally someone, you know, here to check on her. So, um, this is where we meet officer Ryan. No, not Ryan price. Uh, his name is Ryan price officer, Ryan price. And, uh, she's like, ah, I fucking knew it. You guys were fucking with me. And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she's like, Oh, you're not fucking with me. And he's like, no, not fucking with you. <laughs> So she lets him in and they start to get to know each other, start to chat for a second. Um, he's hitting on her a little bit and, you know, she's welcoming the company and yeah. she's glad to be able to, you know, talk to somebody other than just herself or, you know, someone on the phone. And uh, she's kind of telling him about uh, the night a little bit. But um, he admits to Listen, her uh, that he came intentionally to honestly, meet her because I, of who I'm she is. He used to work I'm with her dad. And so... He wanted to come and just kind of tell her a little bit about him and kind of meet her. And um, so he starts to tell us a little bit about um, what happened the night that yeah. her dad died. I was there when that payment fuck. Sh it's okay. Uh, no, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I want to know they never disclose the details. He and I arrived early on scene. We were ordered to wait for backup, but we could hear these poor girls just begging for their lives. So we went in and they opened fire and I was able to pull out four girls while your dad held them off. They killed six more girls and two officers, including your father. He was a good cop, and he'd be so proud of you. Listen, I, I really have to go. You, you, you really don't have to go. I didn't mean what I said. I'm sorry if I was rude. You can stay. No, I. Trust me, I'd love to. If you need anything, at all, just give me a call, and I can pop right over and check on you. Do you remember my name? Officer Price. Right. I'll see you around. So now that we know a little bit more, okay, you know, get some other interaction. It's kind of a weary story, but comfortable knowing that if anything goes down, we can give him a call. So he ends up leaving. And when he turns his back to leave, he's got a big ass fucking hole in the back of his head. Perla called it when we were watching it last night. She was like, I bet you he's a ghost. And sure enough, he was a fucking ghost with his big ass hole in the back of his head. Which, uh, the, the effects look pretty dope. I mean, obviously it's a computer effect, but the the practicality to it as well looked, looked pretty cool. So freaked out even more because she went to go talk to him. And when she turned the corner, he was gone. She didn't let him out of the building. He didn't walk out. He was just gone. 
Um, she starts, you know, double checking the locks and, you know, uh, again, just starting to freak out again. Like she got comfortable for a second, but was, uh, uh, rudely reminded that, uh, there is some weird shit going on here. So as she is walking through the hall, this, this scene was actually pretty dope. I love this scene as she's walking through the hall, she starts to hear what had transpired in that hallway. Um, assuming the night that they brought the Payman family in from the farm and so it's like this kind of like panic scene where like she's kind of standing there but then like she's listening to all these like voices kind of past her like run past her almost like if she was there watching it happen live but there's just nobody there it's just voices and uh you know yelling and uh, I, I don't know I, with the music that they'd kind of put over it i thought it was a really good like panic inducing scene because even at one point she like goes to like cover herself up against the wall um to insinuate how scared she was in that moment and i was like oh that yeah i, I kind of feel it it was pretty good now before she can gather herself again and uh, she goes to kind of turn and she's facing this like corridor that like she's staring down the hallway and she sees this body being dragged across the floor um, with this uh, mask on over the face, again, with some stuff written blood on it. And the body starts, it, it's getting dragged across the floor by nobody, which obviously is somebody pushing the body. But then the body levitates, it comes up and it starts kind of walking at her in like almost like a kind of like a puppet style, but more violently. And it and the hood isn't so much a hood, more so like a plastic bag wrapped around someone's face. And then it starts to like lunge at her and she draws her weapon. She comes around the corner ready to like shoot this thing. And there's nothing again, just more figment of her imagination or some more haunting. We're not really sure at this point as she's there kind of digesting all of this. She starts hearing screams for help coming from down the hallway and we're like, Oh yeah, she's got fucking homeless Joe in that holding room. So she books it down the hallway to go check it out and she peeks into the um into the little window that's in the door and she can't really see anything. No, I take that back. Um he's st- he's there right at the at the glass, you know, begging for her to let him out and when he moves, we see three bodies hanging from the ceiling. Um, all of which have their faces covered with, you know, a bag or or a hood of some sort. And she's like, no way. I'm, there's no fucking way I'm opening this door. And he's like pleading with her. He's like, please, they're going to kill me in here. They're killing me. And she kind of bails because she's afraid. And she's like, you know, kind of talking to herself. And as she's trying to like make sense of what's happening, she's hearing this like almost like a nursery rhyme, a song, if you will, coming from um some other room in the in the station so she goes to check it out and as she's walking down the hall this like this body this person is following behind her on all fours kind of like almost like a spider walk but right side up and it's like all bloody and gunky and like fucking looks gross and when she feels something is following her she turns around to see and of course there's nothing there it just goes away but uh, she keeps uh, walking towards the room. And when she walks in, 
she finds a circle of girls, about six or seven girls kind of sitting in a half circle in front of a mirror. So it kind of looks like a full circle. But this was dope because they're all singing the same song. It's all the same girls in the mirror. But the ones that are not in the mirror, the ones that are, quote unquote, physically there, all end up turning their face and they've got these masks on that um, they're like pillowcases, essentially. But they're they're bloodied and they're, you know, they've got holes cut out in the eyes and the mouth. Dude, it's a creepy ass fucking scene. And I loved every single part of it. It was pretty dope. And as she's standing there trying to like make out what's happening in this room as she's getting freaked out, all the girls disappear. So at this point, I'm like, dude, this shit just does not stop for her. It's just fucking constant, right? Like there's no time for her to react to like get her bearings, you know, try to develop a game plan. Like it's just one thing after another. And as soon as the girls disappear, again, more noises. So she goes into the next room, which is uh, the biohazard room, the evidence room. And she sees that all the biohazard stuff has been brought out. There's three separate outfits laying on the floor. And then in the walls and the ceilings are all these syringes like full of blood and like everything has just kind of been opened up and scattered around the entire room. So it's finally at this point where she's like, okay, enough is enough. Like I'm fucking done and over this shit. So she runs back to the front office, picks up the phone, calls Sergeant Cohen. And is like, I, I can't do it. Sir, this is Officer Lauren. No, sir. Are you dying? No, sir. Then why the fuck are you calling? I'm, uh... <laughs> I'm seeing things, I think. What? Like, um... I just don't know if I can finish the end of this shift, sir. So, not knowing what she can do to like save herself, she calls the hazmat guys. She's like, "Hey, any update?" And they're like, "Nah, like we're gonna be there when we're gonna be there." She's like, "Okay, I'll be here, but I'm gonna be waiting in my car." Which at that point I was like, "Thank goodness!" Like she's finally ready to leave that place, which reminded me that um, you know Sergeant Cohen had told her like. Do not leave the premises, you know, because the hazmat guys were coming. She's like, he was like, do not leave the premises. But technically sitting in her squad car in the parking lot, she's still on premises. So I was like, maybe. But she doesn't get two steps out of the fucking precinct when the phone rings and we all know who's been calling. So she runs back in, picks up the phone and it's Monica again. Monica! And this time she's telling her. She did it. She escaped. She got out. She's done. Now, knowing that she's had this, you know, communication problem and she doesn't want to lose her on the phone. She's like, hold on. I'm going to call 911 on my other on my cell phone or I'm going to call the other precinct on my cell phone. I'm going to get you patched over. We're going to get somebody to help you out. But as the line is ringing on the cell phone and she's still talking to Monica, she ends up losing Monica again. Monica! But it's kind of at the same time where the other police station picks up. So. She starts telling the officer like, hey, 
um, you know, I know where she's at the whole nine. And they're like, hold on, hold on, hold on, pump your brakes. What? Monica Young is dead. She died a year ago. And now Officer Lauren's like, what the fuck? But not only is she dead, it turns out she is the last victim of the Payman family massacre or whatever they're calling it, which her dad was wrapped up in. As this news is sinking into her, the officer on the other line can tell, like, you know, she's freaked out. And, you know, considering that she's been calling all night, uh, reporting these calls about this Monica Young person calling her, the officer tells her, look, there was more than just, you know, rusty pipes at that location that caused us to want to leave. So after we learn all this, we, you know, kind of that that solidifies for us what the the hooker was telling us, which is they didn't die at the ranch. They they died here in the station. They hung themselves. They killed themselves in the police station. Now, at the same time, she's wrapping up this phone call with this officer. Um, we get some a picture thrown her way through the door. She goes to pick it up, and it's uh, not an autopsy photo, but it is a photo of her dad dead on the floor, kind of blood all over the place. She walks more into the hallway, and she finds a picture of Officer Ryan Price all laid out. So the story that he had told us about, you know, the dad dying and another officer, well, he was that second officer. And so um, she picks up that photo, and then there's more photos of some of the girls, some of the victims uh, from that whole thing. And then it's this really cool shot of like the entire floor of the hallway is just littered um, with crime scene photos and uh, police photos of like dead officers. The two officers, her dad and Price, um, just kind of laid all the way out, which I thought was pretty cool, too. So as she's looking at all these photos and her mind starts to trip out a little bit the lights start to flicker some of the photos catch on fire like it it's just like this like this this level of intensity that's getting ramped up and then eventually just leads to her blacking out she comes to because her cell phone is ringing and it's her mom she's like i can't talk about this right now and then as she's talking with her mom she realizes she doesn't have her gun belt on for some reason, her gun belt is missing. And when she gets up, she sees this woman walking from one room to another at the other end of the hallway. So she hangs up on her mom and she runs down the hallway. And before she can figure out what's happening, boom, she gets knocked out. Her body's being dragged into uh, another room. And then um, she, she comes to being seated in an interrogation room. And on the other side of the table is some other girl that we've never seen before. So we get this sit-down conversation between whoever this girl is and Officer Lauren. And she's kind of explaining to her that, um, you know, she was part of this family. She was telling Officer Lauren that she's lucky to be part of this whole um, story. 
Um, but then it starts to explain that, like, you know, she wanted to be one of the girls that night um, with John Michael Payman. She was a little jealous that he took the other girls and not her. And um, this is where we find out that this is the one year anniversary of their death. So this means this is also the one year anniversary of her dad's death because her dad died when they brought that family, those three people into the station. And so she's there to help celebrate the one year death anniversary uh, of John Michael Payman. And the way that she does that is to take the gun, the officer's gun. And, and blow her brains out. Not the officer. So? She, the girl blows her own brains out. So now Officer Lauren is just like in this total con- dazed and confused state. And, you know, just like I think it's kind of numb to everything that's going on at this point because it's just been so much and so little time to like, you know, compartmentalize everything. So she picks up her gun belt. She picks up her gun. She walks back over to her desk and then she gets attacked by this like um this girl who is like this is the girl that was following her in the hallway right um the one that was all bloody and kind of like goopy and shit we didn't get to see what her face looked like in that scene but here we get a really good fucking shot of her face and it is swollen and beaten and like um it's just the it's gnarly dude like her she's got this big ass knot over her left eye and like um, she kind of looked like um, the girl from The Ring where like her hair was just kind of like droopy and um, she just looked beaten and terrifying, actually. <laughs> uh, it was a little scary what she looked like. And so as Officer Lauren is like turning her head, trying to like avoid looking at this thing, it just disappears. And because she's at the front, she's like, fuck it, this is my time to escape. So she fucking runs to the door. She goes to unlock it. For some reason, it won't unlock. And the door doesn't open and she's freaking out, right? Starting to feel, you know, much more panicky. So instead, what she does is she starts shooting at the door, but none of the bullets are doing anything. So in my mind, I'm like, well, it's probably bulletproof glass, but then like there's no dent. It just looks like the door is absorbing all the bullets and nothing is coming of it. And while she's trying to figure it out, she gets a phone call and it's her dad and her dad's like, proud of her and you know telling her like thank you for following in my footsteps and she's like i don't know that i can do it you know and like i'm freaking out and he's like there's people there and the people who killed me are there are you not going to do anything to avenge my death like you better go like put it down just like your old man you know strong dedicated loyal to the job i i i did it for you <laughs> then what are you trying to leave, huh? I laid down my life for this job. I expect you to do the same. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm really sorry. I just got really scared. But I won't leave, okay? <laughs> That's my good book. Now the man that took your father's life still in this building. I want you to do something about it. So she builds up some courage. She walks back into the building and she sees homeless Joe walking down the hallway and he just stops and he's just standing there and she comes up and tells him, get on your knees, get on the floor. And she, you know, he's complying. 
he's not doing anything. He's not saying anything. He's not moving fast or anything. He's just complying. And when she goes down to like do that typical cop thing where she puts her knee in like his back um, to put her his hands behind his back and grab her cuffs, it pans to him again. And it's he's just got this like it's he is turned up on the right side and we see his face and it's all white with these like red eyes and he's like yelling and screaming at her. And it's like, holy shit, what the fuck? And then the hallway goes dark. She's freaking out. She starts walking down the hallway with her flashlight and we start to see glimpses of um, the, the girls who have the bags over their head kind of following her. She makes it down to the holding cell and there's blood all over the window. She opens the door, walks in, homeless Joe's in there, hanging with his hands cuffed behind his back. He didn't hang himself. His boots are off of his feet and kind of stored neatly away. He didn't do that either. And all on the wall, written in blood, are pagan symbols and anarchy symbols. And in in blood, it says uh, the king of hell and just a whole bunch of like horrified shit happening in here. And this is where like the intensity starts to pick up a lot, right? There's shit going down. She starts to call um, for backup on her radio. And again, this is where I think another nightmare on Elm street um, uh, inspired moment comes to fruition where um, in the first one, um, Heather lightning cap, Nancy tried to call um, Glenn, Johnny Depp's character and um she was getting or she was getting phone calls and there was that scene where like the tongue comes out of the phone um she's calling for backup on her radio her shoulder radio and it's not working and all this blood starts to come out of the radio which i thought was pretty dope the the blood in the movie like especially um in this room and in this scene is more of like a brownish color i don't know why like that bugged me for some reason but like i don't know like Maybe it wasn't intended to be blood, but if it was, um, I don't think it, it was the right color, which I think kind of, I'm so stupid and OCD. Like it, it took away from it just a little bit, like not enough to ruin it for me, but just enough for like me to notice and be like, eh, you could have done better in that scene. As she's trying to figure out what's happening in this room, we start to see like a glimmer of light coming from kind of the back of the room and she walks towards it and it's this screen and it's showing uh, these images. It's kind of like a movie screen. These two girls, they're biting the shit out of their hands. Like, I don't know that. I don't know what you call it is like that, that um, area of skin between your forefinger and your thumb. Um, And they're just, they bite down hard, like to the point where like all this blood's coming out. And he's giving, so it's John Michael Payman. You see the back of him and he's giving the girls these hoods. And so they're biting their hands to bleed and they're using the blood to like make markings on the hoods and they put the hoods on themselves. And then we see John Michael put the hood on him and then he turns around with the hood on and he's looking at officer Lauren. And she can tell at this moment that she is freaking the fuck out because she's watching this uh, quote unquote movie that's probably in her head. But then like it's noticing her, which I thought was kind of I thought it was pretty dope. I like I like when shit like that happens. And then like this scene where she's realizing 
that she's losing her fucking mind. Like her eyes are just like red and glossy, but she's like, it's a pretty, like I have it on a still shot right now, but like, it's a pretty dope shot of her realizing like she has no idea what the fuck is going on. And as she's watching this, John Michael takes the hood off and he's less in the screen and more actually in the room. And when she takes the hood off, it's it's the most awesome fucking image of him that we've seen so far because it's he's got these like yellow eyes. He's got the pagan symbol um, like carved into his face around his eyes and around his nose and then he's like yelling at her or like growling at her but he's got these like demon teeth and like this like black tongue and dude it i'm telling you this movie is so worth the watch and that's just this image of him just like freaking her the fuck out is just awesome so she books it out of the room and then there's officer price and I'm standing at the end of the hallway and she's like looking at him and he's like, Hey, don't worry. I'm not fucking with you. Like I'm here to help you or whatever. And then he like, he makes like a, a gun figure with his fingers and he sticks it in his mouth and he like, you know, moves his thumb to insinuate that, um, you know, he's going to shoot the gun. And then like blood comes from the back of his head and the eyes roll to the back of his head and blood just starts coming out everywhere. I was like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Because usually you see when somebody kills themselves, like the gun there, you don't see like where they do it for fake with his hand. And then you actually see all the blood come out. So I thought that was a pretty dope scene. And before she can like react, John Michael comes out of the room with his fucking pagan face and freaks her out. And so she ends up running down the hall and she makes it all the way to that door where she met the hooker and she was just about to walk out just about to get out and get some fucking fresh air and her cell phone rings guess who it is Jess is about just before she was about to leave and make it safe or at least we think she's drawn right back into it because they're coming And we hear them and she starts walking around and there's these people with this that, you know, that look like the people from the the payment family. And they got these masks on and they're running around and they're shooting at her and she's shooting at them and she gives chase and she starts picking them off one by one. She turns corner, shoots one right in the head, turns another corner, shoots another one down. Then... She finally makes it down to the hall where that back door was, right? And she shot um, this other one and he's kind of like laying there and he's holding a gun. Like his body's like halfway through the door, halfway inside the room still. And she's like, you know, over him, like with her gun drawn and he's holding a gun at her. And in my head, I'm like, why wouldn't he just shoot her at that point? Um but he was too busy kind of like reciting. I don't know if it was that song that the girls were singing um, in the room um, when she saw him with the mirror or if he was just like reciting some like some of that family shit. But like, I think she had enough at this point and didn't want to deal with it anymore. So she fucking just stood there and shot him and killed him. And was like, okay, it's over. And then she gets shot. But like, he didn't shoot her. 
So who shot her? Fucking Sergeant Cohen shot her. He comes out from the shadows holding his gun. And she's looking at him like, what the fuck? You shot me. And then he looks, she looks over at the body on the floor. And like, we see this like flash to let us know that like, there's this flash that insinuates that like, okay, what we were watching is not what happened. And instead of this guy in a hood holding a gun on the floor, halfway through the door, it's a guy in a yellow hazmat suit. Turns out she had killed all of the hazmat guys and not these like creepers, these murderers that she thought she was fighting, these people that had killed her dad that she thought she was avenging. And officer, uh, Sergeant Cohen just calls in for um, assistance, officer down. And then it cuts. And that's it. End of movie. And we're left to wonder, was it in her head? Was she imagining all this? Was the place actually haunted? Was it showing her things? We don't know. I think the place was legit haunted. I think somehow Sergeant Cohen was in on it. Because in the beginning, when she first met Officer uh, Sergeant Cohen... He had come from, you know, the back area and he was like all pissed off and he was like punching the walls and he was, you know, yelling. But like at what? He was the only one there. So somehow I think he was involved with this whole thing. Um, But, you know, that's where we leave it up to you guys to go and watch it for yourselves and kind of come up with your own explanation. Um, I know I mentioned it a lot, but the movie does a great fucking job at like not allowing uh, the moments to kind of ease up a little bit. Um, it's everything one right after the other, um, which I think contributes to the intensity and the panic and the, in the horror element of it. Um, and you know, the practical effects were, were really good. Um, the lighting I thought was a little weird because in a lot of the scenes, it's very like brightly lit. So I thought maybe you could have brought that down a little bit. But, um, you know, again, this is one of those movies where um, the the director is getting the opportunity to redo it. And he did it, actually. Malum is the remake of this movie. And it's written and directed by the same person who did this one. So being able to, like, go back and, like, you know, emphasize in some places where you wanted to emphasize or to, you know, make a correction or add something and make it kind of different, I think, is a rare opportunity that a lot of people get to come back and redo their work. So I'm really looking forward to watching Malum. Um, you know, I watched the trailer for it. It looks, um, it looks great. So, um, it looks like a lot of the same, um, ideas and, you know, things are elements are still in that one. So I'm really looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's about it. I hope, I hope I did the show justice, just kind of all, you know, me, myself and I, this go around, um, hoping that Matt's back soon. Um, but in the meantime, we'll also, um, you know, kind of lining up some, uh, guest, um, attendees as well, some throwbacks to some earlier guests and some new people as well. So, um, yeah, just hoping that I can, you know, put together some good content for everybody and take it from there. Check it out. 
And last shift on Amazon Prime. Check us out on Instagram at Mutant City Horror. And uh, we'll see you guys at Monster Palooza and on the next one. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.